0: Man, you may be seated. Good morning. Good morning.
1: Somehow,
0: Jesus managed to preach the Sermon on the Mount with no slides. I don't know how. Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of the angry God. Again, no slides. So, somehow we will make it this morning. Well, please, open your inspired, your inerrant, your infallible, and your all-sufficient Bible with me to the Gospel of Mark. Again, many thanks to our brother Brady and our wonderful Diana for leading us in worship. To the only one who is worthy to receive our praise. You know, as I was reading the Word this week, I came across some really, really good news. Some amazing news. God has declared that as a child of God, He is not going to give me what I deserve. He's not going to give me what I deserve. Instead, God is going to give me what Jesus deserves. And He can do that because 2,000 years ago, on a bloody cross, He gave Jesus what I deserved. And that is really, really good news. That's why we're here this morning. That's the Gospel. But yet that means that this righteousness that we now have is an alien righteousness. It's a foreign righteousness. It didn't come from you, and it didn't come out of you, making this gift of salvation all of grace. And grace, remember, saints, is getting something that we do not deserve. And this is no ordinary grace that we've received. This is a redeeming grace. This is a reconciling and a rescuing grace. This is a grace that predestines and elects, it justifies and it sanctifies. It's a keeping grace. This grace bestowed upon those in Christ is an enabling grace. That's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And do we know what that grace means for us this morning amongst many things? It means that the heart issues that we're going to examine in our text, all that flows out of a a desperately wicked heart no longer defines you if you're a believer. The compulsion and the stain that flows out of that fallen heart has lost its grip and its authority. You're not a slave to it. You have a new master. We do not have to sin. Nothing compels us to it. Nothing requires it. That's good news. And as I thought about that, I was reminded of the last time that I had to administer a woman in the Horbach household. And I shared with that child the very same truth. That there's good news here. That this can be the last spanking they ever receive in their life. Nothing out there dictates that you ever need to receive another one. Nothing. You're free. We are set free from the law of sin and death. We are free. So unless we choose to go back into our jail cell, take the key, close ourselves up in there, sit down, you're free. If you are a believer, there's nothing that says you need to return, as Scripture says, like a dog to its vomits. But sometimes sin feels a little inevitable in a way, doesn't it? We almost walk around with this nagging defeat in our mind. And surprise, you will sin, and you will fall, and when you do, you have a gracious Heavenly Father, who stands with a full measure of forgiveness, who is anxious to apply the spell that was purchased at the cross. No, a righteous man will fall seven times, but he will get up again seven times. But we don't have to fall. We don't have to slip in, as we will see today, the heart sewage. But those sewage pipes, they do leak. And we all need regular plumbing checkups that we might be holy, Jesus says, as I am holy. Amen? Amen. Well, last week we launched into what seems like really a barrage of difficult passages. Hard sayings that cut right to the inner recess of the conscience if we are to walk in the sandals of those in the Gospels, if we're to taste the air of the Sea of Galilee, if we're to feel the sand on the shores of Capernaum, if we're to hear the pulsing of the crowds around Jesus, if we're to relate to the despair and the confusion and even the stubbornness of the disciples, we have to be willing to put ourselves on the receiving end of Jesus' words to those disciples. And so we are. Last week's verses, 14 through 19, had Jesus turning to the crowd once again. Knowing that this crowd who had just listened to Jesus excoriate the Pharisees, this crowd believes the very same thing that the Pharisees believed. They falsely believe that my inside is not what needs to be made new, it's my outside. If I wash my hands just right, if I eat just right, if I follow all the right rules, I will be made clean. Everything between me and God is external. I've never missed a Sunday. I give my tithe as regular as the ocean tide. Pastor. Give to the homeless, give to the poor. Serve down at the homeless shelter. I've got my rule book and I follow it to the letter. Well, Jesus drops a bomb on their entire worldview says, no. You've got it all wrong. You're completely missing it. Your whole system is not just backward and needs adjustment. It's actually a devilish system. Your external rituals and your rules are the pathway to destruction. If you think that you're earning your righteousness by cleaning your pots just right, you'll never throw yourself on me. You'll never take my yoke upon you because you've already chosen your yoke. You've chosen a different yoke. And that yoke of external works that you've given yourself is heavy. It is burdensome. It never ends. It demands more and more. It's a hamster wheel that you'll never stop turning, leaving you wondering all day long if you've done enough, if you're good enough. Well, let me clear it up for you. Let me make it very clear. Jesus says you're not good enough, and you never will be. Your heart is irreparably fallen, and it's the source of all sewage and all filth. The problem The biggest problem in our daily life, and the ultimate problem in your eternal life, is not outside of you, it's inside of you. And this is not a new law that Jesus is given. He is reminding you of an old law, that the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, God told Samuel in the Old Testament. Everything from Mount Sinai, where the Lord gave the law until now, has been about the heart. The heart, the heart. And that's a problem. Because everything that comes out of the heart on this list this morning is difficult. So let's have a look. Mark 20, verse 23. Should be in a handout with you. Mark 7, 20-23. And he was saying... That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts. Sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we are forced to pray for a fourth Sunday in a row, these are hard sayings. This is a difficult mirror for us to look into. Lord, if we could ask one more time, Do not let us look into this mirror and then walk away forgetting what we have seen. Lord, we ask that you soften our hearts to receive a difficult message. Lord, these are your words, and we trust them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, some of you may remember our polling that we looked at from last week showing, what? That 88% of all respondents felt that their countrymen were basically good people. And on top of that, you'll recall that the majority of people also felt that they were morally better than their fellow countrymen. So more specifically, most people put themselves into the top 10% of all moral standard bearers of their country. And we're not surprised to see that. And we're reminded, as we were in Proverbs 20, verse 6, that every man will affirm and declare his own goodness. Every man thinks they're pretty good. In an age of narcissism that rivals all in history, we see men and women not only declaring their own goodness, no, they're declaring their own awesomeness, aren't they? And we're in such an advanced state of Proverbs 20, verse 6, that it eventually matures into a 2 Timothy 3, where men and women are lovers of self. They're worshipers of self. I'm not just good. I'm not just awesome. I worship me. And come to think of it, you all should worship me as well. And if you don't give me the worship, I believe I'm owed. You'll see a world a lot like the one we live in. Angry people not getting the worship they believe they're owed. And this comes flowing out of the sewer pipes of the heart. We took great pains last week to establish what is a biblical anthropology, meaning what is a biblical doctrine of man? What does the Bible say about us intrinsically? Are we basically good or are we basically bad? And we saw that, in fact, we were born in sin, that we were born corrupt, a nice parting gift from our From Adam, our federal head. Meaning that he sinned in the garden. He passed along this original sin to us. That every facet of our being is tainted by sin. Some were introduced last week to the theological term known as total depravity. We saw that total depravity does not mean that every person is as bad as they can be. What it does mean is that every part of our being is fallen. Every component of our nature has been infected. And thus the seed of every possible sin resides in every human heart. The capacity for the least to the greatest sins that we can imagine resides in every person's heart. There's no part of our being that's not fallen, though none of us are as bad as we could be. And that's a grace from God. Yet all of these things flow out of the heart. And we must have this foundation correct if we are to process and to see the depths of what Jesus is about to say in our text today. So let's look closer at our first verse, verse 20, verse 20, and he was saying, well, a quick reminder for us, who is Jesus talking to here? He's talking to the disciples, right? And remember from last week that they hounded Jesus the moment they walked in the front door. Right after Jesus blew the crowds away, saying, Jesus, what was that all about? And God bless the disciples. They've come a long way from the point that where we found them at in chapter 1, haven't they? But as we remember, they are still very much a product of the culture, as are you and I. As much as we would like to think we're just these super spiritual giants, you know, bucking all the trends of culture, the truth is we are deeply impacted and we are deeply influenced by our culture in ways that would make us blush if we saw it clearly. The disciples were raised in the very same system as the crowd that they just left, being born and bred on external religiosity. So Jesus does what a good teacher does. He repeats the lesson. Only this time He's going deeper. He's giving more detail because this teaching is being planted in good soil. The disciples are going to need these hard truths for the day ahead. They're going to need the humility that an innate knowledge of personal sin brings. Later, some of these men, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will be performing miracles to authenticate the message that they're speaking. Might that be easy to get a little puffed up with things like that happening in your ministry, yes? So these lessons, they must go down deep. This camera scope that's running down into the arteries of the heart are essential. Nothing will ruin a ministry or a relationship or your fellowship with God like pride. And lessons like this being given in Jesus, being given by Jesus in Peter's home. These are a heavy antidote to pride settling into the heart. That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. Jesus has told them already very clearly that there is nothing external that defiles you. Nothing from the outside going in is going to touch your heart. Although some have claimed that Miss Gale's pimento cheese spread could be an exception. We have no scriptural support for that, I need to say. Our defilement is spiritual, not physical. If we spend our whole life attending to the physical, we'll never address the spiritual. And while our hands and our clothes will be clean, the arteries of the sewer continue pumping away. No, it's what comes out of us that defiles us. That's why we need a new heart. That's why we need to be made a new creation. And we began to touch on the vast implications of that truth for our everyday life, didn't we? That the biggest problems out there are not outside of me, but inside of me. What I will be responsible for and accountable for in 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 eternity, ultimately, is the internal. Because that's where it came out of. Out of the overflow of the heart, Scripture says, the mouth speaks. We are the way that we are because of what is coming out of our heart. It's not our parents growing up. It's not our boss, as bad as they might be. It's not what so-and-so did to us. It's not even how we've been wronged or even abused. Those people will stand before the Lord for those things. And they will give an account. But there will be no finger-pointing on that day. Because the Lord told us clearly in Lanesville 2021 at Harrison Hills Baptist Church in His Word where our problem was. Many will spend their entire lives consumed over someone else's actions that may have affected them deeply. And that person who wronged you will answer for that. But know that whatever that person did to you, whatever that circumstance or that hardship or that abuse was, It will not hold up on that day as an excuse. Here is the source of the problem. It's all here. Don't look left and don't look right. You let God deal with that person or that situation. Your responsibility, your accountability is right here. Flowing out of your heart pipes. Because the Lord looks at the heart. And He judges the thoughts and the intent of the heart. How many times have I heard in conversations, well, Pastor, you know the Lord knows my heart? I know. That's the problem. That's the problem. Some people will say that the Lord knows their heart, like it's a good thing. So if we dare, let's approach this list. Given to us by our Savior. Verses 21 through 23. We've got them together as one. Verses 21 through 23. Before we dive in, a few things I want us to observe on this very ignoble list. Well, first is the fact that we have a list. Very few places in Scripture do we see Jesus giving lists. So why here? Because you need to fight fire with fire. You don't bring a knife to a gunfight. And the Pharisaical system that saturated Israel, that was so ingrained, even in the disciples, it was all about lists, lists, lists. Rules, rules, rules. The rabbis, they would even catalog and they would systematize the infractions. Eating with properly inwashed hands, that's right here on the sin list. Jesus says, okay, you like your list? You want a list? i got a list for you. Check out this list. A few things to note here. We see 12 infractions. 12 sins, 12 sewer lines that are coming out of the heart pump. And what we notice is a division in them. The first six that you'll see are actions, and the second six are attitudes. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? This is intentional. What Jesus is doing is he's first he's giving us he's presenting this action, and in the second six he's given us in the second six of them he's giving us the sinful attitudes that are behind that action. So yes, the action is sin, but if we leave it there, we've still missed the mark. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. It's all well and fine to talk about the bad fruit or the action, but we need to get to the root. We need to get to the heart. That's why we drive at this in our teaching. Because Jesus drove at it in His teaching. You overeat. That's wrong. That's a fruit. But what's the root? What's the root of overeating? Well, you're placing food in a role of comfort where Jesus says He is your comfort. Well, what's what's it called when we remove Jesus and put something else in its place? Finding your joy and your comfort in something or somewhere other than Jesus. That's idolatry. Yes, the court of haagen is bad, but the heart sin, the attitude sin, is idolatry. And possibly other things as well. When we look into these hard mirrors, this is how we are to process these sinful actions in our life. Yes, X, Y, Z is wrong. But Now, what's the heart attitude that's driving this? Which sewer line needs to be capped off? If Jesus just gave us the actions in part one, in the first six, we would not have peeled back the onion as it needs to be. If this sin is getting away from you, what's the gas in the tank that's driving this off the cliff? No gas, no drive. So let's remove the gas. Let's have a look here. First verse, verse 21. Verse 21, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts. Now let's pause there. Jesus repeating himself yet again. And indeed, you'll see that he does so yet again at the end of verse 23. Jesus will repeat himself yet again. Yes, it's like Jesus is dealing with children. Why? Because we are. We are often stubborn and we are thick and we do not get it. Jesus has to beat it in there. Not only that, but when we see such repetition like that, as a reading principle for us, when we see repetition like that, remember that you probably just found the main point. you probably just found the main point. And we want to know the main point, don't we? We want to be able to tell our friends on Monday what Sunday was about. So here it is. Defilement is an inside job. A month from now, that may well be all that you remember. Defilement is an inside job. That my biggest problem in life is not outside of me, it's inside of me. And if that sticks in your heart a year from now, we have mission accomplished. Back to our text. For from within, out of the heart of men. A reminder of what Jesus says when he talks about the heart. The heart is the seat of your will. It's your desires. It's the center of spiritual activity. It's your emotional, your intellectual, your moral activity. It's your attitude, your affections, your priorities. That's the heart. And out of that, Jesus says, proceed the evil thoughts. Jesus puts His finger right on the genesis of our sin. That not a single sin in our lives did not first begin with a thought. Not one. No action took place that was not first hatched in the mind. The great Charles Spurgeon, he wrote eloquently on this phenomenon. He writes, quote, Thoughts are the eggs of words and actions. And within the thoughts lie compacted and condensed all the villainy of actual transgressions. If men did but more carefully watch their thoughts they would not so readily fall into evil habits. But men first indulge the thought of evil and then the imagination of evil, nor does the process stay there. Picturing it before their mind's eye, they excite their own desires after it. These grow into a thirst and kindle into a passion. Then the deed is speedily forthcoming. It was long in the hatching, but in a moment it comes forth to curse a whole lifetime. Close quotes. The text says that these evil thoughts proceed. Proceed. Let's hone in on that word. The English is inadequate here. This verb proceed is in the present tense. Meaning that we're not just talking about a random thought that pops into your mind. Have you ever had that? You're just kind of going along in your day and all of a sudden, boom, this thought pops in your head. Like, oh, where on earth did that come from? Or rather, what bottle of hell did that just creep out of, right? Well, that's not what this is talking about here with this word, proceed. This word is meant to reflect the fallen mind, the sinful mind, as one that is reasoning, as planning, as strategizing to sin. It's depicted in the present tense, revealed this depraved mind as continually thinking about and actively calculating how to carry out these evil deeds. That's quite a statement. So if we were to read this in almost like an expanded Greek, it would read something like this. For from within, out of the heart of men, they are continually strategizing how to commit evil. They are planning and justifying the evil thoughts. All this the fallen heart is doing constantly. Constantly. They never cease calculating how to commit evil. Ouch. And yet it's tragic. It's tragic for believers when they look back on their old life, when they think before they knew Christ, before they were in Christ, that they really weren't that bad. They really weren't that bad. And beyond that, some believe that in that continually evil state, That they were in, that scripture clearly shows us in, that they somehow found some holy longings within themselves. Amidst all of the continual evil in their heart, they actually turned to Jesus of their own will. You dare to dream. You dare to dream. The Bible in your lap says that the evil that proceeded out of that heart was continual. It was not passive. It was an active seeking of sin continually. Tell me, where in that process did a longing for Christ come in? Keep reading that Bible and we will see the folly of thinking that we chose Jesus one day because we were just good enough to be able to do it. We were dead men with a continually corrupted heart. And only the power of Christ can overcome this. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts. Why harp on this, things? Because if we do not see ourselves as we were, we will not see God as He is. You'll think you did something that you didn't do we would rob glory from God for the greatest miracle in all creation, the salvation of a hostile soul. The very salvation of someone who is planning and plotting and strategizing to commit evil, Jesus saved that person. That's a miracle. If we see ourselves in the true state we were in before He saved us, we would prize our salvation beyond words. And we will stand in wonder and amazement before God. We are not entitled to a slice of the glory pie for our salvation. It's all His. It's all His. Now we camp on this point for the saved and the unsaved alike. We ran this home that the unsaved first might see their peril. Someone will not desire the cure unless they first realize that they have a disease. That we show them their lab reports. We show them the x ray And they will cry out for the cure. And for the saved, that they might give all glory to whom glory is due. That they might grow in awe and wonder at the power of God and at the sovereignty of God and all the growth and the beauty that flows in their life from realizing this. This list from our Lord coming up, this is the lab report. This is the x-ray. Prognosis for the unsaved? Not good. Prognosis for the saved? You serve an amazing God. So bow down in amazement. If we dare, the doctor's pulling out the chart here. So the first six, these are acts that are given to us in the plural. Sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, coveting, and wickedness. Well, I don't think any of us can have a shocked look that starting at the beginning, Jesus uses the word porneia, which means sexual immorality. Faith behind every sin is a lie. Behind every sin is a lie. Somewhere along the way, we believed a lie. And nowhere is that more true than in the category of sexual immorality. That sin is a lie from top to finish. That person on your computer screen, that's a lie. Your lust and your fantasy, that's a lie. Sexual immorality robs your joy. It robs your spouse. It steals, it kills, and it destroys. Sexual sin will take you farther than you want it to go. It will keep you longer than you want it to stay. And it will cost you far more than you're willing to pay. Guaranteed. But this is no surprise to see this at the top of Jesus' list. No surprise at all. What's next? How about thefts? Well, most of us would not consider ourselves thieves. We don't have the right burglar mask. Imagine being Judas in the room hearing this. Judas was a thief, right? He stole from the treasury box. Think about the fraud in our world. Think about the resources that we have to dedicate as a society or as a government to stop and prevent fraud. It flows out of our heart. Deceit, fraud, theft. Jesus goes on to talk about murder and adultery. Most of us are happy we can skate past those, right? Never murdered anybody. I have. I have. Jesus says if any man hates another, he's guilty of murder of the what? Heart. There it is again. Guilty of murder of the heart. Adultery, same thing. Whoever looks at another person to lust after them has committed adultery with them where? In the Heart. I thought I was doing pretty good on this list Until I started to see God's standard Hatred, murder of the heart Lust, adultery of the heart How about coveting now? Boy, this is a tough list Some of you might be even picking up That Jesus is tracking pretty closely To the Ten Commandments here, isn't He? Thou shalt not covet That's the Tenth Commandment What's the heart problem with that? What harm am I causing anyone if deep in my heart I want what they have? I didn't go take it. I didn't steal it. I just secretly desired it. I'm not hurting anybody. And isn't that the standard today of right or wrong? Whether or not someone is injured in the process, that determines right or wrong? It's not God's standard at all. So what's the heart matter of coveting? Coveting tells us that God got it wrong in what He gave you. He told you in His Word that He will only allow things in your life that will be for your eternal good. And you say, you're wrong, God. You don't know what makes me happy. I know what makes me happy. And it's that. And I want it. To covet is to call God a liar. It's to call Him stingy. And the root of it is the same in so many sins. So many sins. The heart of coveting, the root of coveting, the heart of committing sexual sin is that God is holding out on me. He's holding out on me. He's not really giving me the good stuff. Materially, relationally, sexually, God is holding out on me. Well, guess where you've heard this before? Guess where you've seen this before? Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What's the lie? God's holding out on you. There's something better, and God's not giving you the goods. What's the result of believing this lie? What was the result of believing that God did not have our best interests at heart, at heart? That He should give you more? That you deserve more? That there's something better than what He's given you? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. What happened? The entire world was plunged into darkness. Mankind would now be forever fallen because Eve thought that God was holding out on her. Don't you believe it? Not for a second. What you have is what you are meant to have. And the greatest godliness is found in contentment. Here in the bosom of contentment, your heart sings to God that you have done all things well. You've done all things well. Do we see the devastation of life that comes from this list from Jesus today. And finally, Jesus closes out with the six acts. All the six acts with our text with wickedness we see. Wickedness. Basically, what He's doing here is kind of a catch-all. Just in case you don't see your sin on my list, right? Because we know that the disciples love their list. And they would look at the list and they would say, Hey, Grace, I don't see my sin on that list. He says wickedness, which is all-encompassing to say anything else that violates my law. Anything else that violates my law. And you can just see the disciples as Jesus is giving the list, going check, check, nope, I'm good, I'm good, nope, nope, nope. Jesus says "No." Whatever violates my will and my law flows out of the heart, and that's what will defile you. And finally, having given us six actions, Jesus gives us the six attitudes that accompany these actions. And we need this thing. We need this. Or the examination, the lab work, the x-rays are not going to be complete. If we don't dig one more layer down, we're still on the external action, aren't we? We're still on the external action. But we have gotten at least one step closer than the Pharisees got because at least now we're tracing that external to the internal. How about the attitudes now? Deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Deceit. dolos, means crafty, cunning, deceitful, clever, treachery. This word is talking about, it's a word that's used to, to indicate like a fish hook or a trap, to bait or to trip, to mislead, to snare. This person is desiring to do this. And it's now that attitude that drives the action to deceive. How about sensuality? That's a word I think we're well acquainted with in 2021. Perhaps second only to pride on our list. Sensuality indicates an absence of restraint or shamelessness. An I don't care what others think attitude. This is an unbridled lust. It's sensual dress and behavior or a parading of perversion. How about envy? Sadly, we don't have time to do a deep dive into all of these. We could do a ten part series. Each could be a message of their own. But envy literally translated means evil eye. That's where we get that from. To look at another's success and to wish him ill because of it. How about slander? To wound another's reputation with your words. Pride. Could we stop on pride for the rest of 2021 and all of 2022? Oh, we could. Oh, we could. This is the only sin in Scripture where God says He is going to actively resist you. He's going to resist you. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And finally, foolishness. All these things, all these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Beloved, the great J.C. Ryle, he reminds us, quote, all of us, whether high or low, rich or poor, masters or servants, old or young, learned or unlearned, all of us, have by nature such a heart as Jesus here describes. The seeds of all the evils mentioned here lie with, hidden within us all. They may lie dormant all our lives. They may be kept down by the fear of consequences, the restraint of public opinion, the dread of discovery, the desire to be respectable, and above all, by the almighty grace of God. But every man has within him the roots of every sin, and how humble we ought to be when we read these verses. It is essential, thanks to our salvation, that we understand these verses. That we see ourselves as we were. That we might see God as He is. How great He is to save us. How worthy He is. World famous author G.K. Chesterton, he was once asked to answer this question in a newspaper article. What's wrong with the world? Here was the answer he submitted. Dear sirs, I am. I don't know about you, but when I see lists like this, I cry out, how then can anyone be saved? For we are a wretched people. But lest we despair, the Word of God comes rushing in like, Cool, crystal clear water in Ezekiel. Let this wash over you saints. As we have had to look at the sewer lines that are coming out of our heart, hear the word of the Lord. Then I will sprinkle, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove your heart of stone from your heart of flesh, and give you a heart of flesh I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my rules I will sprinkle you I will clean you I will give you a new heart I will give you a new spirit I will remove your stone heart I will give you a heart of flesh I will put my spirit within you I will cause you to walk in my statutes and you you be careful To observe my rules. He's equipped you. The work is already done. Now we must walk in it. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for attending to your word this morning. Lord, I thank you for a congregation that can receive such a word. For softness of heart that can only be watered and tilled by the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask that as we go this week, that this word would be turned around and would be rolled around in our minds and in our hearts, that we might put it down deep. Lord, that as the trials of life, as the temptations of life, as this very world and culture assaults these things, Lord, that we might have a deep well to draw upon. Heavenly Father, we lift up all this up to you in the name of the matchless name, the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen.